And what he was doing was, and it's just my personal opinion, I haven't spoke to anybody, this is just me evaluating the game. What I saw out of James Harden was a guy trying to help Joel Embiid win the scoring title. A guy that was trying to help Joel Embiid win his first MVP. Because I saw him. We keep talking about Ben Simmons and what he bring on the defensive side of things. Where the hell was Ben Simmons last year when they were playing the Hawks and Trey Young was torching them? I'm, I'm telling y'all, look, I'm not jumping off this ship. I'm gonna have to sink with it. I am staying with the Memphis Grizzlies. You are now listening to The Hoop Forum on the Dip Podcast Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to another edition of the Hoop Form NBA podcast. As always, it's Ben Slykerman and Adam Elder here to tackle another great episode. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Mr. Carter Rodriguez. Carter is a host of the Chase Down pod. Uh, He's also a part of the eSports engine. Carter's going to come on today to talk Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, That's what they're doing over at Chase Down. They have a lot of great insight. They re- recently became members of the Cavs media family as well. Uh, so Carter, if, if you don't mind, uh, go ahead and let us know what you guys are doing over there at Chase Down. Well, first off, Ben, not a lot of people asked me about the day or mentioned the the day job over at Esports Engine. So uh, so kudos to you. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Chase Down, we've been uh, we've been going for about five years covering the Cavs. Uh, myself and my co-host Justin Rowan. Funny enough, neither of us live in Cleveland. I live in Columbus, and he lives all the way over in Winnipeg. Um, <laughs> oh wow! But uh, but yeah, Cavs Canada. That's the, that's the handle. Um, I saw that. Know, <laughs> uh, we got, we got picked up. Uh, you know, we we kind of started this adventure five years ago. Um, and last February, uh, February twenty twenty one, we were officially acquired by the team. We are a, a, a Cavs Media uh, property now, um, and you know, which is insane to see your favorite team, you know, tweeting out your podcast, uh, once a week. And, uh, you know, they've taken really good care of us, uh, and brought us out to all-star brought us out to the home opener, just had a wonderful experience uh, as a member of the Cavs family so far. And, uh, we are on, on track for quite the season. Uh, so I feel you know, Justin, I remember we, we always used to say, especially when, you know, this, this team is really going through some dark times, frankly, you know, we were like, what, what's our, you know, kind of what's our reason for, for continuing to grind this podcast. And we kind of just kept saying something to the tune of this is like when we kind of, if we keep getting better and we keep growing our audience, when the, when the Cavs are good again, we'll have a head start on everyone. Because we'll have been here the whole time, we'll have been growing our our community, and then boy, boy, did we! Because you know the Cavs saw us and saw an authentic and organic way to commu- you know connect to their diehard fan community, and that's what I think we do for them. And uh, you know, it's been an absolute joy. Yeah, and that's incredible. That's uh, a wild place to find yourself. <laughs> yes, uh, like you said, uh, from where you started to where you finish is is worlds worlds apart and it just shows the the hard work paid off and now you guys get to be a part of the team that you love so much uh 
So that that's an incredible journey. Yeah, and that's the, that's what's really cool. You know, we got to we actually ran the official media day stream last year. I'm hoping we'll get to do the same again. Get, getting to talk to people like Darius and Jarrett and like just you know stuff that like and even just like just the experience of of being going to Cleveland and having people call you know shout you out as you're walking around the arena. It's like you know I, it, it's the most surreal experience because um, I you know Justin and I said we said this a lot to each other is when we first were starting is we're like, we have to be prepared to shout into the void for a while. (laughs) Like we have to be prepared for no one to listen for, for a long time. Um, and you know, and so to go from that to, you know, people walking up to you at, at a, you know, a sports bar, uh, in downtown Cleveland and being like, Oh, I love the pod. I listen to it every week. Like that's crazy. And it's been a really cool experience for sure. So, Carter, if you don't mind me asking, what's the bond like between, I mean, you said you've got to talk to Darius and Jared. What's the bond like between those three? Because I know during the All-Star game, they definitely played up, you know, that Cleveland was having really nice representation in the All-Star game. And you kind of got these first flashes of what this core could be like. But to me, it, it looks unlike anything that we've, not that we've ever really seen before, but it's of a new mold in this era of the NBA. Well, yeah. And it's, you know, frankly, I think of, of a new mold for the Cavs. Like I don't, I think it's no secret to say that even in, you know, good times, the Cavs have not always been the best vibes team. Right. Like there's always a lot of drama, a lot of big personalities, you know, Kyrie, LeBron, and you know, I love those guys. Um, you know, I love those guys and you know, I'll always root for them. Um, but you know, going, coming to, you know, uh, this group where Darius kind of had an inauspicious start to his career you know, you, you, you had a lot of respect from his peers, but didn't seem to be the most vocal guy. Evan and Jared are like the most gentle giants that you've ever seen, you know, just the soft, very soft-spoken guys. And I think when you, when no one's expecting anything of you, you've got this really, really young group. It kind of turns into a college environment, you know, and a lot of these guys didn't get that college environment, not for long. You know, and, you know, Darius barely got one. He played five games before, you know, ending a season and having to go, you know, just basically was like, I guess I'm going to start prepping for the draft. So, you know, I think that when when you have that kind of experience, it inherently bonds you. And then I think it's very clear that Darius has some sort of cult of personality around him where he's just is the kind of guy who lifts the people up around him, makes them feel good that he's playing with them. Uh, and, and, you know, really owns that. And, and I think it's important to note as well, because it's easy to, well, it's not easy to be a leader, but he also is humble enough to really like seek out role models. Like you saw that with Ricky Rubio, the first half of the year where he was clearly leaning on Ricky Rubio for a lot of guidance, a lot of leadership advice. And, you know, you, you, you heard him do media and talk about the way, you know, what the kind of things Ricky was teaching him how to do, you know, teaching him how to stay vocal, teaching him how to run stuff. And it's not like Ricky's like a rah-rah guy either. He's just a, a vet who's been around for a really long time and is frankly a basketball savant teaching a younger basketball savant how to run his team. And it, it, it was just kind of the perfect vibes season. Uh, even though obviously it didn't end awesome uh, due to, you know, just cataclysmic injury luck. But like, I, I think that is really what 
I think when you look at this move for Donovan Mitchell, which I know we're going to dive into, I think it really is an investment in that core three in a way more than it is anything else. You know, that's them saying, Hey, we've got our, we've got a, a, a group of three guys that we're ready to go to war with. Let's go get them some heavy artillery. A killer. Exactly. And that begs the question as well, because I mean, Ben and I have both shaded on times, both on and off the podcast about Donovan Mitchell being a bit of a diva personality from the outside. I sometimes, at least I, what I get from him on the court, sometimes I just see touches of diva personality there. So you hope that somebody like Darius that you said is a cult of personality that can just accept, you know, all kinds of people. Like you would hope that Don just fits right in. And then we all know his skill set. He's an F-22 fighter jet in the wing. Oh, I like that. I'm stealing that. <laughs> I mean, the wingspan, I mean, he just absolutely floats around the court. Like the fact that he played baseball and can do these mind bending corner passes where he just finds guys in the other part of the corner. What kind of connection is going to be there with Kevin Love? And Kevin Love's famous corner to corner inbound passes, like the um, what transition passes? I guess you could call them outlook passes. There, outlook passes. Yes, yes. So I mean, this Cavs team. It just putting in a guy like Donovan Mitchell that we have seen score fifty seven points in a playoff game as. I don't know. It, that's what that's the hard part because is he actually the number one scoring option now? Yeah. So I, I think we should break that up a little bit and talk about kind of the personality concerns because I think there's something to be said for them. Uh, that was not a happy Utah team by the end. Um, and you know, there's always a little bit of chicken and the egg there of like, you know, are are you kind of acting out because it's an unhappy workplace or? Are or is an un you know or are you causing the unhappy workplace? Yeah, are you the um, cause? Absolutely, uh, by acting out. And you know, I I'm not sure what the answer is. I know that all the reporting on Mitchell was that you know he's a you know he's a good guy. He's well liked by his peers, which I think tends to matter. Uh, you know, he's someone who who you know you you kind of see uh, is always invited to all the offseason runs and all that stuff. So there's something there. I think. It is indisputable that his attention to detail and effort level on defense was pretty abysmal against Dallas in the playoffs this year. I think he knows that that's going to be the the you know the story that that's uh, said about him on that side of the floor. And when you and even though he is a small guard, he's six one with a six ten wingspan. He's built like a linebacker. He should be a good defensive player, or at least a decent one with with effort. So you hope it's a couple things on that end of the floor. It, you hope that not carrying such a heavy load on offense. Um, you hope that working in a happier environment, uh, working in a uh, working on a team where defense is a collective expectation. Not, you know, I, I wonder if there was a little bit of, you know, over reliance on Rudy Gobert by the by the end of that Utah run. Yeah, maybe just every night they're like, Rudy's got it. We'll be fine. <laughs> yep. And, and like, and you certainly can slip into those same patterns with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen on the, uh, you know, on the back line covering you. But, you know, I, I saw a team last year where Darius Garland, who does not have defensive tools like, uh, like Donovan Mitchell was busting his ass 
on that side of the floor. So you hope that that kind of, and then also it's worth noting JB Bickerstaff has really forged a legitimately positive relationship with almost every player on, on the roster at this point. Um, and, you know, is someone who is well known for his communication skills and his ability to define your role and tell you exactly what he expects from you. So I think on the personality front, I think it should linger until proven otherwise a little bit like, Hey, like if you're the leader of a team and the team was unhappy, what does that say? But like, I don't think that we should, I don't think that there is enough body of work. Like, you know, just to pull another example, Kyrie, Kyrie's had, you know, unhappy stops at a lot of places now. So it's like, to never end. (laughs) Yeah. So like you have to like account for that with Kyrie in a way that I just don't think you're there yet. With, with with a guy like Donovan Mitchell, especially given how well-liked he is around the league. Very true. Very true. Especially given how Windhorse reported he was jumping up and down on the golf course after finding out he uh, got traded to the Cavs. Which is exactly... which To that end, by the way, I think that's more evidence that he's not a diva. Because a diva, ultimately, I mean, like, if you really want to, like, narrow it down to, like, a one-sentence thing, divas want control. They want to own their own narrative. They want to own their own situation. And it was clear, you know, from, you know, over the last couple of years that Donovan had eyes on New York. So, you know, you, you could be a guy like that is grumpy. You know, you were hoping you'd get to New York and like, it wouldn't even be that unreasonable of a thing to be a little bummed out. Like if you really had your heart set on a job in a new place and that didn't work out, and you got in your and your office transferred you somewhere else, specifically it, Ohio, <laughs> yeah, specifically Ohio, which is like not exactly a glamour market. Like it would not if you really had your heart set in New York, it would I would not hold it against you if you had a, had to take a second to adjust. I mean, Ricky Rubio had to take a second to adjust. Um, and that was you know reported publicly that he was like, "Ugh, I did not want to go here. Uh, so like I would I would get but the fact that he didn't tells me this dude actually just wants to win basketball games at a high level. He saw, he saw who his peers are going to be. And he was like, Oh hell yeah. Get get me there. So I think that is a huge indicator that attitude should not be a problem. Is he going to have to break some habits? I would imagine. So I'm going to give him some runway. It's weird going from the, you know, bona fide number one, no, no one else even close to you. Heliocentric kind of, star player to playing, you know, within an ecosystem again. But I I don't think attitude's going to be a problem until I see something that tells me otherwise. And I think the fit's going to be similar to some degree just based off the fact that, you know, a- as heliocentric as that offense was, Don was playing with a pretty good table setter in Utah and Mike yeah. Conley. Uh now you're going to Darius Garland, who's arguably an elite table setter, yeah. if not My, knocking on the door. Basically this version of Mike Mike Conley on steroids. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, theoretically, if based off of that, you, you would assume that actually it's going to work out pretty well. Uh, now, obviously there's going to be some kinks along the way. Uh, but like you said, you're, you know, you can excuse that for a bit and give them some time to, to grow and form some chemistry here because we know the, the core already has chemistry. It's just fitting Don in now. Yeah, it is. It is that is your core. You got that four those four guys all under the age of uh, twenty six by tomorrow. But I'm going to say twenty five for now because uh, it sounds better. And Donovan Mitchell doesn't. He's not twenty six yet, good fellas. Uh, so you know, I I think that core uh, is complimentary 
And it's interesting because they are both at, both at the same time complementary, but do have you know interesting uh, back you know drawbacks. Uh, but ultimately, I think that the upgrade from a talent perspective, from a volume scoring perspective, that's what they needed. They Darius is not someone who, by any evidence, prefers to be a volume scorer. Like how many? I mean, I don't know how many. Uh, you know, open threes. We we screamed at him for passing up over the last couple of years because you know he's so uh, such an unselfish player. So you know, I, I think that someone who's a gunner, a volume three point shooter, Donovan Mitchell took ten threes a game last year. Um, you know that should really raise the the floor and the ceiling of this offense, which, quite frankly, fellas, kind of stunk last year. They were you know they were not a top twenty offense. And I think if anything held them back uh, from you know hitting their ceiling, uh, other than injuries, it was that their offense, even at its best, was never that good. No, no, they prided themselves on defense, and that was clear. Fantastic defensive core, exactly. So the one thing off of that, Ben and I actually got the opportunity to watch one Cavs game last year, and it was against the Dallas Mavericks, which was so. It was just, it was some. Uh, great energy and watching Darius up close. Like, man, he is deep in his bag when he is under the basket. Like he is a great shooter, but under the basket, he carries the ball in this pocket underneath when he is driving. And it just almost seems unstoppable. He it's very, it's very Steve Nash ask. He's the point guard. Right? I compare him to the most. Um, and it's because of his ability to keep the play active. Like there's a lot of point guards you know, I'm just going to pull out one who, you know, poor guy has been a bit of a punching bag lately, but like Russell Westbrook kind of like doesn't have a plan B on the way to the rim. And Darius, it just feels like his, he doesn't even have plans. He has like a decision tree and he can, he can kind of go down any branch of the tree he wants and generate something good uh, because of how active he keeps his dribble, how tight his dribble is. He's obviously not a big guy, so he keeps it low to the ground. He's kind of unpluckable in that way. And he's just such an elite interior passer that with, with two, you know, elite bigs with elite catch radiuses that he can just generate a really, really good look. And I think the biggest jump his game had was his improvement as a finisher. Uh, his, his numbers around the rim were woeful two years ago. Um, part of the reason he was not an efficient scorer by the statistics uh, two years ago and became one this year is, you know, he is able to consistently generate good angles, despite the fact that is, you know, is he's never going to be an elite athlete and he's not a big guy. It's just all skill with him. And it was great to see him too, because there was just a downhill turn where later in the game, when it seemed like the Mavericks were taking a little bit of control, Darius just started feeding himself more possessions and he started getting more of those drives in. And like you said, he started going through that decision tree at the rim. And most times it was just, floating right past his defender and getting to the basket. But one other thing to focus on here, we can change topics up a little bit. The young guys are really locked in in Cleveland here and we're loving to see it. But the veterans are really what's needed. Like you said, there's not really a place for 19-year-olds on this team right now with what their development arc is. They're ready to start punching. Do you think that Carmelo Anthony would be a good fit? Now, I know that there's the, the Boston talk here. But somebody like Melo just to come in to really shore up the three, four rotation, be able to shoot relatively well on moderate attempts, I think that would open up the floor even more. 
I don't think so. And kind of here's why. I, I think that the team is actually really well set at the four. And I think that's the only position you can play Carmelo Anthony at at this point in his career. He just doesn't have the foot speed at the three that he used to. Um, and between Evan Mobley, Kevin Love, and then a little bit of Dean Wade, who I love, um, I think you're well equipped to kind of cover those minutes. Um, you know, Mobley's going to eat at least, you know, 20 minutes at the four. Obviously, he's going to play at least 10 to 15 at the five as well. Um, and and the, the fact of the matter is you have to give Love a, a, at least 20 minutes a game. Uh, and so there's just not that much room for him. Uh, and like, you just kind of rather like when you're, and then at that point, when you're down to your 10th, 11th man, you kind of just want someone who's going to fit in, who's going to be a clue guy. And like Mello is the kind of guy, I think he fits better on teams. Like, I think Boston actually makes a lot of sense for him, especially with Danilo Gallinari going down uh, with the torn ACL, because it's like, okay, what do they need on those bitch units? They need someone who's going to hit threes who's going to generate a good look for them because they're not exactly the best. Like they don't have a ton of bench playmakers on, on that team. So like, I think that's the kind of spot for, for, uh, for him. I think the Cavs should be really looking at uh, with their last remaining roster spot. If anything, a pure three or even uh, another point guard uh, because Ricky Rubio is not going to be around uh, for the first half of the year. So all of a sudden you really only have two point guards in Darius and Howell Neto and, you know, finding, finding someone just to, even if it's just a half a year and then you, you know, you sign them to a non-guaranteed deal and then you let them go, uh, you know, giving yourself some insulation in the event that someone like Neto gets hurt. I think that makes a lot more sense than burning, you know, uh, your last roster spot on a spot where even if you have a couple injuries, you have proven players who have helped you, uh, you know, helped you win basketball games last year in Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens. Like, are those sexy names? Like, I'm sure if you're not a Cavs fan, you're probably snickering. Lamar Stevens was going off of the game we saw. Oh, yeah. Big time hustler. So if you, you know, like if if you don't know those guys, if you haven't watched a lot of Cavs games, you're going to go. Yeah, but you'd rather have Mellow. But like Mellow, like when you bring in someone with that kind of gravitas, you have to account for them in a way that I just don't think the Cavs really want or need to have to account for someone that deep in their rotation. True. Very true. And plus, uh, Carter, I don't know if you've heard the, the low post before, but uh, Zach Lowe has his own jingle for Dean Wade, where he uh, has like this accountant uh, theme song for him. Oh my God. I love, I love That's how, you know, by the way, that Zach Lowe is not uh, a bullshitter. <laughs> right, right. Like, yes. th- you, you think that this guy's faking it, saying that he watches every single team. If you got like developed Dean Wade takes <laughs> and you're not true. me or, or someone who, who, you know, has to cover this team, you really are covering the whole league, buddy. The man <laughs> is living on league pass. Yes, he is. So if it's not mellow to dive right back into that, I mean, other than developing these younger guys that are deeper in the rotation and giving them their looks, if there is a move that would be available, say at the deadline, is there a player that you would have in mind personally uh, that you think could just slot right in and help them on a deep playoff run? Well, anyone who listens to the chase down knows I've had eyes for Gordon Hayward for some time. Okay. Um, I think he's a really interesting player uh, when you're evaluating the league landscape because he's owed, he'd owed, he's owed 60 million over the next two years. 
he's certainly not that quality of player anymore. Um, he's hurt a lot. And Charlotte, frankly, is not in the best spot, obviously. And it's, you know, no, it's terrible, you know, what's going on with the Miles Bridges situation uh, and, and the reports uh, about what's going, what happened there. But, you know, he's probably, I, I'm guessing he's not playing till I see him play, which means Charlotte finds themselves in a bit of limbo. Not really like, and you look at how stacked the East is right now. I don't see a road for them to compete. They have one of the, you know, one of the most reportedly, uh, you know, cash poor owners in the league and Michael Jordan. Is he really going to want to pay, pay 60 million over the next two years to a guy like Gordon Hayward? If, if he, if Hayward's not part of the next competitive Hornets team, I say nay, my friends. Yeah. yeah no and Jordan. Yeah, the, the 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 deal that I you know ha, has I've been bouncing around in my head is something like Karis Levert, Jetty Osman for Gordon Hayward and a protected Hornets first. Yeah, the Hornets have to pay you to get off the money. They pick up a, a, a role player who keeps them competitive in Levert, a flyer on a young guy in Osman, and a ton of expiring money uh, off their books saves them about thirty million uh, before any you know cap, uh, cap considerations. And helps them dodge any tax considerations as well. So I, I, I think that is a move that is a little risky because that cap space that the Cavs still have going into next offseason goes away and you're a little all in. But I think this team is screaming for a big playmaking wing that doesn't need to be a high usage player that can still defend, uh, that can that can that can switch with fours and fives and and hold up. Um, and you know, you just think about a Garland, Mitchell, Hayward, Mobley, Allen starting lineup. And to me, I look at that starting lineup and think we can go to war with anyone. We have stylistic versatility. We can play big with, a you know, Mitchell, Okoro, Hayward, uh, trio, uh, and, and, you know, focus more on defense. We can go, uh, insane offense. We can play small ball with Hayward at the four, like, you can do a lot with a big wing like that. And that's the one archetype the Cavs don't have. And it's the one archetype that's damn near impossible to acquire because they're so freaking valuable. So you have to take on a distressed asset like a Gordon Hayward, someone who, you know, like you're not getting, um, oh gosh, I just forgot his name on the Raptors. OG Ananobi. You're not like, like those guys are not even like, like OG Ananobi might be the 16th best small forward in the league. He's still probably going to cost you two first because he's six nine can defend and shoot. Uh, so, like, you have to get a little creative to find that archetype, unless you get lucky in the draft or in free agency. So, that's a, that's a guy I, I'm pretty uh, enamored with. So, me and Adam personally have been throwing around a couple of ideas uh, to play right off of that. I mean, I like the idea of a of a healthy Gordon Hayward. It's a risky it's a risky pitch. I won't lie. Yeah, it's it's risky, uh, but like you said, uh, the right opportunity might fall in your lap due to the financial situation and where the Hornets are at, and you know maybe they don't want to pay him. Um, nonetheless, I'm interested to see if you would like this, uh, Kyle Kuzma. Kuzma is interesting, and you know I think he should. I believe he's going to be hitting free agency uh, next year. I'm looking it up on Spot Track as we speak. Uh, Kuzma is, you know, he hits a lot of the same. Um, kind of beats that Hayward does. He's, I think, a, a very, very capable defender. Um, he's a bit of a 3-4 hybrid, whereas Hayward, I think, is more of a pure 3. But what's nice is the Cavs are kind of 
built to insulate him because his corner three has gotten so strong. He has a player option for next summer, by the way. Um, so uh, that I would imagine he would decline. So, uh, you know, you might have to, he might be a better person to uh, just pay next summer than necessarily trade for just because of that, you know, relative insecurity of like giving up assets for someone who you then have to give a big new deal to. I, I, I just think this is going to be a spot where like, Washington's trying to compete right now, so they're not going to be interested in moving Kuzma. I think he's going to be a free agent target, and he's a good free agent target. Uh, so, like, I, I'm not opposed to the player. Uh, I just don't think he's gettable in a trade environment, especially since right now Lavert makes more than Kuzma. I just, it's kind of, it kind of sucks to see where Karis Lavert is right now. I mean, every bit of discussion I've heard around him recently is just. Uh, you know, that he's just trade fodder at this point and that he's just fallen off. And I, I think that's not necessarily, I, if I, if I can push back on that though, a little bit, I do think that is a byproduct of the Mitchell trade uh, more than a byproduct of like, like Karis's worth and value. Like I, you know, I think Karis took a little bit, I think in some ways, bit of a bit of a hit. Cause he was, you know, in line to start. And I don't think he should start. Obviously, he might still earn that job. Um, you know, I thought he was in line to start at the two. Obviously, Mitchell's got that spot now. Um, but in a lot of ways, this is kind of a, an optimal role for Karis Levert, or the Karis, the player we mo- most of us think Karis Levert is. You know, like, and I think we're going to learn a lot about him as a player. He's kind of famously a high volume, middling efficient efficiency guy who hasn't played on a lot of great teams. And I, I think it'll be really interesting to see like, okay, here's an optimal situation. Here's a team with, uh, you know, pick and roll partners for you with shooting around you with high, uh, high efficiency players around you with defense on the back line to help protect you. Can you be, uh, you know, can you be a player who is actively helpful, uh, you know, and has one of those positive uh, net rating differentials and starts hitting on all the, all the advanced metrics, or are you just going to be a guy who is the same guy, but on lower usage? I I think we're going to learn a lot about Karis this year, and it's going to really define, you know, what the, his next deal looks like, whether it's with the Cavs or with someone else. So I, it's funny you mentioned, you know, he might get that starting position. If, if you're looking at how they open up on any given night in Cleveland, is it a Coro, an obvious uh, start at the three for you? I think based on a couple things, based on pedigree, his fifth overall pick. I think based on, you know, having earned it, he spent most of the year as a starter on very in very good lineups. It should be Okoro. With that said, uh, he's got to be a decent three-point shooter from the corners. Uh, he was a decent three-point shooter from the corners this last year on very low volume and while being completely ignored uh, by defenses. So, you know, and when it got to the, you know, winning time, JB had to pull him off the floor. Right. Uh, And that can't happen. He has to kind of prove he can do that. And I think if, if he doesn't prove that he's capable uh, of kind of being a a decently high volume three point shooter, because he already has a bit of a size, uh, problem at the three. You know, he's only six five. He's not like one of these big six seven wings. Yeah, exactly. That's my concern. 
Uh, but I think he has earned the spot and I think he actually will do well with it. I think, uh, you know, Justin on our last pod, my co-host compared him to Tristan Thompson in the sense that the more talent you put around him, the better he looks, you know, and that, and by the way, that is, that sounds like damning with faint praise. It is not. There are a lot of players who do not look good when they're, when they can't completely control their environment and are not the only option out there. Um, so I think that's a very good comparison. I do not think it should be Karis Levert um, just because what Levert does well, which is on-ball creation, is just already taken care of in a, in a Darius Donovan backcourt, which leaves me to the sleeper, Zach Lowe's favorite, Dean Wade. <laughs> um, Dean Wade at the three. So here's the, here's the thing about Dean Wade at the three, fellas. Dean Wade graded out better. Uh, as one of the best switch defenders in the NBA last year. I don't know if you know that. I did not. I did not know this obscure Dean Wade fact. Zach Lowe probably does though. <laughs> he, he is big. He's six, eight, six, nine has done uh, really, really well uh, whenever he has guarded uh, elite wing scores like Kevin Durant, like Jason Tatum, because he's got the size and he's a pretty darn good athlete for his size. So he can move. Um, if you look at, Cavs lineup data. Uh, when you look at five man lineups, you know, they're most played. You know who tends to have who tends to be in all the best ones? <laughs> Dean Wade. Dean, Dean Wade. Wade. Uh Dean Dean was legitimately a very helpful player for them last year. And uh, you know, he and I think if you're JB and you feel like you found something in the tall ball lineups uh last year, then he is a very obvious fit to continue that. Now, the thing that we saw with Dean as a starter was when he was paired with Okoro at the wing, when he, when Okoro was the two and he started at the three, when, when, you know, Lowry was injured or out with COVID, the, uh, there just wasn't enough juice between those two offensively, but you know, swap out Okoro for Donovan Mitchell, all of a sudden stand in the corner. Dean doesn't sound so bad. Uh, he shot 36% from three last year on similar uh, volume to Isaac Okoro. So, you know, all of a sudden, I think there is a case to be made. I think it should be Isaac's job to lose. But, like, don't sleep on Dean Wade, fellas. Do you know how many games Dean Wade started last year? 41 in the wake of injuries. Too high, but 28. He started 28? damn near, okay. damn near over a quarter of the season. He started on a team that was really good uh, with great lineup data. So like, I just, I just would say like he's loved by the coaching staff. And if Okoro is not, you know, if it's not working with Okoro, I just wouldn't sleep on it. Even though I think it should, I think it should be Okoro's job, write it in pen, but Okoro still has to earn it. That's a completely, that's completely respectable. I mean, so how about this? Um, have you ever seen the iceberg charts online? So how about at the top, it starts with Colin Sexton has great potential at point guard. And then when you get all the way to the bottom of the iceberg, it says <laughs> Dean Wade starts at the three for uh, a <laughs> Eastern listen, Conference man, Finals team. <laughs> all you need to know is that JB, when Lowry was hurt, who did JB put in the starting lineup of the three? <laughs> Your boy, Dean Wade. Don't rule it out, fellas. I'm, I, I know I sound a little meme because it is kind of funny, uh, but I, I'm serious that I do think like he would probably be the next best option after Okoro. 
for that starting lineup right now uh, in terms of, you know, because Jetty is such an inconsistent player, especially on the defensive end. And, you know, he's been, and we've seen Jetty in JB's doghouse. Um, and, and, you know, you can take that in two ways. You can take that as well. One, wow, Dean Wade's a little bit better than I thought. Maybe that's a decent thought. It's also a, a condemnation of the wings on the Cavs roster right now. And I think they, they know they need to upgrade it. But with what they have, you can do worse with Dean than Dean Wade, my friends. I mean, let's be honest here. Evan Mobley is going to guard the best perimeter player at the best wing perimeter player at times. At times, but that's not what JB did last year. He, really? I, you know, Lowry Markinen was the lead defender oftentimes last the season. Craziest thing to me. They threw Lowry Markinen on Jason Tatum. They threw him on LeBron James. And here's and and here's why you do that because you know most of these big wings love to operate out of the pick and roll. So when their bigs come up, they just switch Devin Mobley or Jared Allen onto those guys. Perfect. And you can and, and it worked. You know, so like I think that you will still see Mobley and Allen not even if they are the best perimeter defenders on the floor at any given time. I, I think JB is has tipped his hand more than enough at this point to say I'd rather just disrupt their offense by switching that first action and make them reset. Switching is an incredibly, incredibly powerful tool. I mean, we just saw an Eastern Conference team go to the NBA finals off of playing the strongest switch defense in the league, you know. Yep, switching and then tagging out mismatches off the ball. Like, that's what the Celtics do better than anyone. That They've been doing it for years. Like, that's what people don't understand about them. It's not just that they switch. It's that when they do get, you know, a Peyton Pritchard gets up against the center, they, they will muck up the action enough to go tag that guy out and get him back into a favorable matchup. And I think that's, and I think that's where the Cavs uh, could really learn. Because, like, you know, they got killed by Trey young with met with mismatch forced mismatches that they couldn't get back out of. So it'll be an interesting challenge for them as they try to like go up another tier. And Adam, you mentioned Mr. Colin Sexton, uh, now obviously a member of the Utah jazz got his money, which he was obviously really wanting. And I would argue deserving based off the fact that he had a run, uh, before he got hurt where he was, I think averaging like 27 a game at one point. Um, so this man is, is an incredible talent, but for you, Carter, having covered the lead or covered, uh, the Cavaliers now for, I think you said like five years or so, does it hurt seeing a guy like Sexton go considering, you know, he was kind of there on the ground floor, uh, as you guys started the podcast. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he was a guy that he either drove you crazy or he kind of just won you over with his earnestness and he and his effort and his attitude. And I think I've definitely fallen to the latter camp. You know, I was, if, if they had brought back Colin on that exact same deal he got with Utah, I would have been a happy camper, man. Um, you know, I think that there is something to be said about, you know, Justin and I often talk about the 80% principle. Um, and this kind of happened when the Cavs had traded for Jared Allen and people kind of were saying, Hey, you can get, yeah, you can pay Jared Allen 20 million a year, or you can get Rashawn Holmes and pay him, you know, 8 million a year and have him be 85% as good. And that logic sounds great, right? But that extra 15%, that extra 20% is exponentially more valuable. Each percent you get better once you're that good 
is is a meaningful amount. Um, and I think that the same kind of applies to the Cavs logic in trading for Donovan Mitchell. Like, yeah, Colin Sexton might end up being 90% of Donovan Mitchell, but that 10% is a meaningful amount and could be the difference between winning a series and losing a series because the margins are so razor thin at the most competitive parts of the league. Yeah, and I guess for me, it's not even that when I look at the trade that Colin Sexton hurts the most. It's that draft capital that you gave up that initially gave me pause. And I think I talked about this. Me and Adam uh, recorded an emergency pod when the trade first went down. I think you maybe have referred to it as like sticker shock because you're like, oh my gosh, like you just gave up that many firsts for Donovan Mitchell. Does that really make you a top three team in the East? And I think Adam would probably agree that it does, but I beg to differ. I just don't know that you crack the top three. I don't know that you're a legitimate contender right now. Uh, maybe in a few years, if Evan Mobley reaches his absolute ceiling, you might you might have that opportunity. Uh, I, I just fear that the draft capital may have been too much. I don't know what your thoughts on that were. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that there is certainly a case in which this does not work out great. Um, I also don't think that there is, I think there's a bit of a misnomer with moves like this, where it's like, if you don't end up competing for a championship, the move was, um, you know, if you don't guarantee a championship with a move or you don't guarantee immediate contendership, the move wasn't smart. And I just, I don't think that applies here. Uh, the last year, the Cavaliers owe a pick to the Utah jazz is Mm -hmm. 2029. That's crazy, That's right? Long. That's you know, is society even going <laughs> right. to exist in twenty twenty nine? With that said, that year Evan Mobley turns twenty eight, fellas. That is even crazier. So, like you, your core will be hitting their primes by the time that outlay of picks is done. And I don't think the Cavs are a tier one team in the East right now. I think if things broke a certain way, they could you know they could beat any of these East teams. But the reality is between Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Toronto, and Cleveland, two awesome teams are going to lose in the first round. Two awesome teams. But you know what? I don't think any of those series are likely to be so uh, uh, damning for those teams that lose that, that, that it wasn't worth it trying to win. You know, like this Philly team is not guaranteed to get out of the East and they have Joel and B or to get out of the first round. And well, you can't guarantee anything with a playoff flake like James Harden. Yeah. So <laughs> well, well, of course not. Of course not. But you know what I'm saying? The talent level is really, really high in the league right now. And you know, maybe they're not an immediate tier one team, but I think they can expect to be in the next, you know, by maybe next season and that, you know, banking on that and coming to you know, go into war as Evan Mobley, you know, takes his leap. Which you know, you don't make this trade if you don't think Evan Mobley has the is likely going to be a top ten player in the league in the very near future. I happen to agree with the team, and thus I think it's I think it's worth it because you know you only get a chance to pick up a talent like Donovan Mitchell every so often, especially when you're not in a glamour market. Yeah, Ben tries to paint me on the complete homer side of <laughs> Donovan Mitchell. Because I, you know, I, I have his shoes. I've been a fan of him since 2017, you know, like I guess all of these weird tendencies that I have of being a fan of an NBA player 
yeah, the Cavs paid a steep price here. Sure. I guess that was that was also my reaction too. I didn't feel that same sticker sticker shock because I guess I didn't have the emotional connection there between Lowry Markin and what he did for the Cavs because I really wasn't sold on that being a long term move for them. Like the tall ball stuff was yes funny and effective. It was effective. Like I mean, even Paul George came out with that quote. It's hard to rebound against these guys because they're all six ten. Like. Of course, like even Paul George himself, who is renowned as a big wing, isn't that big. Like the Cavs were simply just bullying. And Larry Markinen is at the forefront of that being unlocked and being able to play the three. I just I feel like what the Cavs gave up. And also with the fact that, I mean, in our reaction pod, we had said. Cavs put the offer on the table and made it clear, like everybody else was shuffling around these other big market teams. They were trying to hold themselves about having RJ Barrett, about having these assets that they don't want to give up. And it's crazy to me that RJ Barrett was even discussed. Like, I thought, I mean, people tried to seem like they were going to get away with Fournier and Randall going to Utah, which is laughable. So, what the Cavs paid, I mean, the fact that New York media outlets are coming out now basically crying, saying, oh, we felt like we didn't have a fair chance in the Donovan Mitchell trade and that our offer was actually really good. So we're not sure why they didn't take it. And that kind of stuff. You're just like, you know, the Cavs Cavs and Kobe Altman put themselves in the forefront position to win a big trade. And the opportunity was right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a big price. Uh, You know, five years of pick control is nothing to sneeze at. Um, But, you know, that's what the league demands when you want to pick up a star player. And I just don't think the Cavs had another road to a star like this. Um, uh, you know, while they at this point of the timeline is kind of the perfect time to strike. You haven't paid Evan yet. You know, you have Jarrett locked up, you have Darius locked up. I think if you were going to make a move, it had to be now. And sure. You might quibble. You might say someone like Jalen Brown would be a better fit with this young core. If you offered that same set of picks to Boston, where Boston is as a franchise right now, they'd laugh you out of the room, even if it's a great offer. Like, not everyone is available. Uh, Even like, you know, like there's so much context around it. And waiting for someone who is like, you know, Justin and I were pining for Brandon Ingram for a long time. Yeah, he would have been an awesome fit. But like, you know, who went absolutely nuts to end the year and is adding a healthy Zion Williamson? The Belgians. They're not trading Brandon Ingram. So like eventually you just kind of have to evaluate the landscape, see, see a young star. I'm, I, you know, I have no uh, insight information here, but I, I assume that, you know, you typically find out if someone's going to be receptive to this kind of thing before you make the move uh, through, you know, whatever channels, whatever ways you do it. And, you know, they got a guy who is excited to be here. That's made three all-star teams. And that is uh, on the same age timeline as your core. It's hard to do better. Yeah, you could have done a lot worse. I mean, that's that's for sure. So, I mean, adding adding a guy who you could consider a top 25 player to a core of three all-stars uh, with one being... Uh, with, with a fourth guy who has the potential to, you know, just be an all-defense caliber player every single year. And I guess we'll close with that before we hit one more take. I had one more question is Evan Mobley a candidate for 
defensive player of the year coming into this season. You think he'll finish at the top of those ballots? Uh, I don't think so yet. I think uh, he and Jared are still inextricably linked to one another. Um, I think that they're in a weird spot where those two are probably going to cannibalize votes for each, from each other for a long time. Uh, and, you know, I think Evan, I think this year is going to be a year where Evan gets 5% better on the margins. I think the leap comes in year three once he really ages into a man's body. Uh, you know, he's still a kid, uh, to, to be completely frank. He's 21. Uh, just turned 21. Uh, and, you know, he still looks like a kid, you know? Uh, and I think once he develops that kind of functional man strength, I'm not even talking about bulking up and all this stuff. It's just like a thing that happens as you get older and you spend more years in an NBA weight room. I think that's when the true leap comes. I think this is going to be a year about incremental improvements around his skill game and around his understanding of the game. But I think the big leap where he just becomes like a no doubt defensive player of the year candidate uh, is probably near three year four. Fair enough. Well, Carter, uh, thanks for coming on today. This was, this was great to be able to talk to you. Hopefully we'll get uh, another chance to speak to you uh, before the season is uh, done to check in and see how Cleveland's doing now with this huge trade. Uh, before we go uh, here at the hoop forum, we like to do uh, a nice little special segment at the end of every show called one more take where we throw out one last take into the ether since we talked Cavaliers today, we're going to make it Cleveland themed. So Adam, uh, hit us with your one more take. Okay, here we go. This is the deepest in my bag that I can go. Isaiah Mobley will play in 18 games this season for the Cavs. (laughs) (laughs) You're a wild boy. (laughs) Don't think I agree with that one. (laughs) Uh, Carter, uh, go ahead and throw it out there. Uh, I think the Cavs are going to finish third in the East. Um, I think Miami is going to fall off. I think the Cavs will prove that they are demonstrably better than Philly and Toronto, and they will be right up in right up in it with Boston and Milwaukee at the top of the conference. I'm going to play right off of that then. I want to see Cleveland versus Miami in the first round. Cleveland in seven. Oh, wow. That would be a blast. I hate Miami. First round. Take them down. Hey, you know what? If there is a team that's ready for another first round exit, I hate to say it, Jimmy Butler. I love you, dude. The heat got worse this year. I don't I don't love them and I don't love them. <laughs> let's uh let's have the home team just send them home send them packing put the butler as a top 10 guy uh to rest even though me and adam probably still have him right there at the top 10 list let's just end all that kyle lowry will hang it up it's over uh nonetheless uh thanks for joining us as always you can find all of the content from the dip podcast network at the dip network on all social media tiktok twitter Instagram, the whole nine. You can find Carter on Twitter. Carter, go ahead and throw your handles out there, sir. Carter underscore shade and chase down pod. Yeah, definitely stay tuned to all the content they're putting out at chase down. Uh, lots of great work and coverage of the Cleveland Cavaliers there. Nonetheless, Carter, thanks for coming out today. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Uh, of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs>